Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Bill Barnwell Show. That's me. I'm Bill Barnwell. Today, a rare foray away from football for part of the show. We're going to be talking to the Athletics' Nate Tice first about the Julio Jones trade and how he fits in Tennessee. And then we had to do it. We took a little bit of a dive over the second half of the show into the U.S. men's national team and their Last week, which was crazy, including one of the most ridiculous matches I've ever seen against Mexico in a 3-2 victory. We talk all about that in the second half of the show. Before we get into that, I wanted to quickly tell you guys about another ESPN podcast you may have heard of, but you should be listening to. It's The Right Time with Bomani Jones, hosted, of course, by the excellent Bomani Jones. Three times a week, Bomani is talking about all things sports with a variety of intelligent guests, including our friend, Dominique Foxworth, wildly entertaining and incredibly insightful. You know, Bomani's work is always worth listening to, always worth watching, and the podcast is no exception. So make sure you're downloading and following The Right Time with Bomani Jones wherever you get your podcasts. Also, The Ultimate Fighter is back. The reality show that brings top MMA prospects together under one roof to compete for a UFC contract is on ESPN+. Featherweight champ Alexander Volkanovsky and Brian Ortega coach men's bantamweights and middleweights who have put their lives on hold for the chance to pursue their UFC dreams. Stream new episodes every Tuesday only on ESPN+. Sign up now at ESPNplus.com slash UFC. And now here's Nate Tice to talk about the Julio Jones trade and the U.S. men's national team. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there is no competition. And right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a Jets Pizza location near you. Again, try Jets Signature 8 Corner Pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. All right, joining me now, here is promised on the Bill Barnwell Show, a person who I felt like we had to have on. Um, there is a little bit of football to discuss, and we will certainly talk about the Julio Jones trade, but the only thing that's really been on my mind over the past week is the U.S. men's national team, which is not football, of course, it is soccer, and someone I've been talking about that with pretty much nonstop over the past week is my friend Nate Tice. So Nate is joining us today to talk about the Julio Jones trade as someone who, uh, of course, has significant actual American football experience, uh, will give us some insight there, but also we're going to talk about the national team and their performances over the past week or so as well. So Nate, first, how are you? I'm doing well. I know this is kind of, for what we want to talk about today, it's the stars aligned for me to come on the show. It was like, <laughs> it's Julio. Uh, Julio's going to the Titans with Todd Downing, who I've experienced with. And then it's like, mm-hmm. oh yeah. And then the U.S. men's team knocked out three games the past week. So it's like, okay, I think I think it, it was made for me to come on this June 10th show. <laughs> Perfect fit. Perfect fit for the most most days for the podcast. You are a perfect fit, but perhaps today even more so than normal. So, Nate, um, let, let's start with the Julio Jones trade. Let's start with the American football side of things. Um, obviously, a bunch to discuss here, and I know you brought up Todd Downing, who, of course, you and your dad Mike have experience working with uh, for a while back, and certainly want to talk to you about about the Tennessee offense with him. But let's start with Julio himself. I mean, last year, of course 
an injury riddled season. Uh, I think limited to about half the year with injuries. Of course, a Falcons team didn't have much to play for, got off to a pretty ugly uh, beginning of the season. And then things got a little better as the year went on, yeah. but finished four and 12. It wasn't like there was much to play for after that. zero and five start. So um, Nate, in terms of what you saw from Julio Jones when he was on the field last year, I, did you feel like he had slept all that much? I still think he's Julio. Uh, I watched yeah. the, the last game against the Saints, and that's, you know, I watched a couple of the early games, especially that Cowboys game, which was yes. it's hilarious to watch again. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but I watched the game against the Saints. You know, he had missed a couple of weeks before that, and then he missed all the rest of the season after that. He's still Julio. And I, I think it's, even if it's 90% of Julio, because father time is undefeated, it's still, he just brings so much to the table. I mean, he was running away from every defender on the Saints. He's, all the routes look good. Still at, can catch the ball. Like he, it, Everything looked fine. It's just maybe he loses that 10% of explosiveness, but that's the thing. Mm-hmm. When you draft a guy that's like Vince Carter playing receiver for athleticism, <laughs> <laughs> they age pretty well, <laughs> you know, like that, that athleticism, you know, declines at a pretty nice rate. Uh, so I, th- I still think he's Julio. I still think uh, you're at least getting uh, two good years. I think that's what mm-hmm. you can hedge on is those next, these next two years, which matches the Titans timeline. Yeah, certainly. I mean, it feels like they're in a situation where, they have a core, especially on offensive guys who are in their, you know, either late 20s or early 30s. Derrick Henry's a little younger than that, but um, a team that you would figure is going to try and win over these next two years and a team that's gotten close over the past couple yeah. of years. Of course, the AFC championship game against the Chiefs a couple of years ago. And then last year against the Ravens, two games where, you know, Derrick Henry really was slowed down and the passing attack, which we know is super efficient was not able to really shoulder a much more significant workload. Um, We're not able to score enough to compete with Kansas City two years ago. And then even after that early touchdown against the Ravens, kind of the offense slowed down. Um, And I think there's a really interesting thing happening here, right? In terms of the Tennessee offense, which we know, I I know it doesn't jive with analytics, um, but they're (laughs) going to be a run-heavy team. They have a running back who is, by all accounts, extremely good. And Derrick Henry, who shouldered a really significant workload over the past couple of years. I mean, almost 400 carries, including the postseason, each of the last two years. And so when I look at this offense, when I look at where Julio fits in, in terms of who he's replacing, uh, I, I was talking to me at times about this, and she brought up this idea where, you know, I thought about it as, okay, maybe... He's replacing Corey Davis. He's going to take Corey Davis. He's better than Corey Davis. No disrespect to Corey Davis, but maybe he's taking some of the opportunities Johnny Smith had because they didn't replace Johnny Smith. Mina brought up the idea that maybe uh, Julio Jones over the next couple of years might be a hedge or even a possible replacement after this year for Derrick Henry in terms of how this offense might shift and be a more pass happy attack. So Nate, how do you see Julio Jones fitting in here? I mean, do you see in, in terms of his workload, like, do you see him being sort of a, a Corey Davis guy in terms of his targets or, or what, what would you expect if Julio is relatively healthy for a full season? My, my initial like thought was kind of the, uh, uh, the curmudgeon in me going, well, mm-hmm. Julio's not going to block like Corey Davis did. Like that's my first thought. Cause I'm an idiot. Um, so I, I, but then was, sorry, kind of just going back going like, okay, so what is going to happen now? You got Julio, 
Julio Jones and AJ Brown on the same field. And then of course you got the run game with the Titans like to do. So, okay. What you lose in that dirty work that Corey Davis did, which is so weird for to say for a top, whatever he was, top five pick, top, <laughs> I, top seven, yeah. Pick, top. Yeah. And that's, it's the craziest thing that he is the dirty work guy and AJ Brown's like the flashy explosive guy. And he was a second round pick mm-hmm. and top five pick, which is just so funny, but mm-hmm. it's, so you lose that element but you're going to gain just even that next top tier explosiveness it's you're Mm -hmm. cranking that up to 11 and Corey davis did a good job when aj brown was banged up and he started taking more of the intent on the routes because it's a lot of two-man routes so it's basically one's Mm -hmm. an alert one's the intent (laughs) so it's yeah yeah. Uh, so he when he was the intent he did a good job but now it's pick your poison in that regard so i think what you lose and maybe that grittiness which is needed in this type of offense the rams the rams and titans especially with what they try to do the receivers just have to be blockers they just do mm-hmm. it's just a lot of these outside zone teams it's just or even split zone teams it's just you need to be a willing blocker it just is but who jones okay maybe he only he's half the blocker Corey davis says he can do it it's just a, he's a guy that's gonna pick and choose the spots he's julio jones he he, mm-hmm. he it's a sliding scale <laughs> he can get away yes. with it but all the looks they're going to have to teams are going to have to play too high against them just because they're going to be terrified. Mm-hmm. It's just if you spread it out, they start running different formations a little bit. But I think uh, Downing's going to kind of keep it similar. It's just that that trade off of maybe losing a little bit of that grittiness. They're going to gain a more passing explosiveness. And I think we all know what Ryan Tannehill is. And now mm-hmm. it's giving them more of an more options on the more like obvious passing situations. Mm-hmm. If Tannehill's not going to be you know, he's not going to be the top tier guy that's going to read everything out perfectly. Okay, let's just make sure he has two outstanding guys that can win one-on-ones. And then it's just like, mm-hmm. hey, hey, Ryan, just pick a one-on-one and, and let's go with it. We can live to play another day if, if it doesn't work out. I think that's kind of what they're going to lean towards. It's okay, maybe Ryan can't get better. Tannehill can't get any better with that. Let's just give him another weapon that can win no matter what and make it easy on him or as easy as possible as it could be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes total sense. I mean, yeah. you look at... You know, A.J. Brown's snap count from the past year. I mean, he played 68% of the snaps as a rookie. Did miss two games last year. It was up to 71%. Not an every snap player. Julio Jones out throughout his career in Atlanta. Also not an every snap player. Typically about a 75% snap count when he is even healthy, let alone when he's missing time with injury. So, um, you know, I think you'll see some plays where it's just an opportunity to get some of these guys some rest. Where you're, mm-hmm. You know, you can take A.J. Brown off the field for a few snaps per game and not feel like you're you know, down to bare bones at receiver. Yes. Uh, and the same thing with Derrick Henry. You can take Derrick Henry off the field and not feel like you are, are in trouble. Like you can still have two great athletes, you know, two mismatches, two guys who can take something to the house on any play yes. and still have one of the guys resting on the bench, which I think is, um, you know, really and, valuable and, and a hedge. And it's another thing too, is like they, they're willing to get to heavier personnel where maybe there's just one receiver on the field. And mm-hmm. some of those things was they would put in, and I'm blanking on his name right now, but he he caught the uh, the touchdown against the Ravens in the playoffs a couple of years ago. But they would just put him in like on shot plays only. It's like if you knew this mm-hmm. guy, this this fifth receiver was in the game, it's like, well, we kind of know that they're going to go deep here. So <laughs> what Julio can do, Julio is scheme proof. He could do. No tight ends and fullbacks and stuff with one receiver out there, but that receiver is on every time we do it, it's either AJ Brown or Julio Jones. So now it's like that creates just unpredictable. Like it, that just takes a tell away from mm-hmm. that, what, what the Titans like to do. It just helps kind of like 
it's just it's just punching them in a different way. It's throwing a hook instead of a jab. And that's that's the kind of stuff you're hiding it. Or if you want to do a different analogy, like a baseball pitcher, it's like, okay, every time I do this with two strikes, you know I'm throwing this. Okay, but what if my two pitches are Julio Jones and AJ Brown, as opposed to AJ Brown and our scrub receiver that only can run post routes or something like that? It just creates a little bit of unpredictableness in an offense that I wouldn't say is predictable, but they they have their three pitches, they have their base things or staple concepts that they like to run. So I, I just, when you add star players like this, it's like, okay, we can kind of just do more. And then the things we do already, they just get better. <laughs> That's what Julio Jones kind of does. Man. What range from Nate Tice on a football slash soccer podcast, oh my mixing goodness. in the baseball metaphor going around <laughs> the world here, around the world of sports. Right, By the way, hockey, the guy we hockey in and we got to get, 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 get in. We got to cover all the NBA has to show up at some point. Class. Okay. Okay. Um, well, that's a bet. You, uh, the guy I believe you were mentioning earlier was Khalif Raymond. Who, thank uh, you. To your point. To your point. Average nineteen point eight yards per catch, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Tennessee. So yes, uh, that is a shot guy uh, when you're averaging nearly yeah. twenty yards per catch I, and you're playing uh, about ten percent of the snaps. I, I said the story of the pod with uh, uh, with our mutual friend. He must not be named. And on that, on that pod, I like him and I were talking and we're saying, I, I told a story about when Kyle Shanahan came into the Falcons and he was just talking about what his ideal type of player is at each position. So yeah, you know, Andre Johnson has his, has his ex and he's like, and he shows about 20 plays. Okay. Like, hey, this is why mm-hmm. I like the big bodies. I like a guy that can win against one-on-ones, yada, yada, yada. But then he start, started throwing us these concepts with, with, you know, these two routes, one guy running deep, one guy running over route. And uh, after a while, he starts talking about the deep route, the deep route, the deep route. And then he's like, everyone, someone mm-hmm. in the room's like, hey, so who's your idealized version of that? And he goes, Julio Jones. And we're like, oh, <laughs> okay, okay. And then he talks about the other route. And he's like, yeah, this guy's got to really sell. He's got to get across. This guy's got to be tough over the middle. And someone's like, oh, so who's your idealized version of that? And he goes, Julio Jones. So <laughs> it was just like, this guy could do it all. So it's just, it's a little better than Khalif Raymond running your post route when you have Julio Jones doing it. <laughs> it's fair. That's very fair. Um, that checks out. Uh, you mentioned Todd Downing earlier. Yes. And uh, Todd Downing, I'm sure you can detail uh, your background working with him. Um, he had one year with the Raiders as offensive coordinator. It didn't go well. I mean, that was an offense that really took a step backwards. Uh, Todd Downing moves on, ends up in Tennessee, and now takes over as the offensive coordinator um, with Arthur Smith leaving for uh, for the Atlanta Falcons. By the way, I don't know if this is just me. Whenever I like, there's now three Arthur's in my mind when it comes to the NFL and Arthur Jones, <laughs> the former uh, Ravens defensive lineman, Arthur Blank, the owner of the Falcons, and now Arthur Smith, the coach of the Falcons. So I'm always like, am I saying the right Arthur in my head? Um, but anyway, yes, Arthur Smith is now the coach of the Ravens. Todd Downing takes over. Um, so in terms of this offense in Tennessee, you add Julio Jones. You get rid of Johnny Smith. You get rid of Corey Davis. Some a little bit of turnover along the offensive line, but Taylor Wands coming back. Um, what do you think this offense is going to look like relative to what we saw work very successfully under Smith over the past couple of years? Yeah, I think with Todd is he. So he was with Scott Linehan for ages, uh, not just with Minnesota, but also with the Rams. Linehan was the head coach there, um, and then in Detroit mm-hmm. uh, with Stafford when he came in. And so that's kind of, actually, it's kind of the same offense I knew, but it's, 
as he's gone on, now he's kind of gotten away and he's experienced different trees, I guess is the best way. A little cross-pollination um, mm-hmm. would be a good term for it. And I think with being with Stefanski and then now being with Arthur Smith and kind of seeing different ways, you know, to skin a cat. And I, I think mm-hmm. that's going to like, that's what he's realized is kind of like going like, okay, what's this stuff is a little different than what I'm used to, but Hey, it works. Mm-hmm. And I know, yes. I think he's smart enough to not rock the boat. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. he's going to, I think about 90% of it's going to stay the same. And this is something I do know about Todd. Cause I talked to him a bunch. Um, um, not so much during the season, but in the off season is, that like he was in charge of, you know, red zone and some third down stuff, or at least had the lead in it for them. So it's going to be interesting. And, and the Titans offense was really good in the red zone. So it's like that kind of stuff, like, okay, he's going to be that still the guy there. I think a lot of, he might have some more better dropback stuff um, that he can lead into. He likes, or the Linehan tree, it's a lot of split field read where it's kind of one concept on one side, the other concept on the other side. So I think you'll see a little bit more of that. Uh, but really, I know that he had a say already in a little bit with Arthur Smith's stuff. Arthur Smith, mm-hmm. of course, was the lead on everything. So I don't think there's going to be that much difference. I just think there just mm-hmm. might be a couple tweaks, like a couple little change ups. It's like, oh, okay, I, that passing concept's a little different. But I really mm-hmm. don't think the boat's going to get rocked that much. Um, I just think it's going to look a little different with, you know, again, uh, number two Julio Jones out there instead of Corey Davis. <laughs> Um, I think the tight end wise, like John New Smith was a very explosive element for him. I actually think Anthony mm-hmm. Furster is a good player as well, a yeah. better route runner than John New. Um, it's like a funny, he's dynamic in a different way. John is explosive and straight line, and Furster mm-hmm. has a little more skill to him, and he's still athletic, um, but about the same blocking wise. So I know they know how to hide those guys, they're pretty smart about it. So, you know, I actually think Furcture is going to be a fun little fit for them, too. So mm-hmm. I, it's going to be interesting. I, I really want to see that, too. Maybe if they go into, like, 12 personnel and they have Furcture working from the slot with Julio mm-hmm. and A.J. Brown on the outside. Like, they could do some kind of creative things. And I think Todd will be willing to do that a little bit more. Yeah. It'll be a really fascinating offense to watch and a big team to watch in general. And I guess yeah, where I want to finish up here is just thinking about this model. Um, to me, at least, when I look at Tennessee, I see a core of guys when it comes to the cap situation when it comes to where they've invested um, over the next couple of years, they've really invested in kind of six or seven guys being the real significant core of this football team, uh, both in terms of the guys who have been paid already. And one guy who's about to get paid uh, next off season, of course, in AJ Brown, who's probably going to get a raise to something in the 20 million per year range. So when you have Tannehill next year with a cap hit, I believe, uh, of $38.6 million. I mean, Bud Dupree, Kevin Byard, oh Derek Henry, Taylor Lewan, Roger Saffold, maybe Saffold might not be there, but Saffold at least in the mix right now, uh, Julio Jones, and then AJ Brown. That's um, seven, eight guys, depending on whether Saffold is there, who are all going to be making really significant money. And, you know, to me, the team they remind me of more than anything are the Cowboys, where you have that, you know, quarterback who is seen as good maybe not elite but um you know certainly upper echelon quarterback super efficient who's now making a ton of money a running back who's very expensive a couple linemen who are very expensive uh, you're going to have a couple of very expensive receivers or significant assets invested at receiver um once aj brown gets paid and you know that one pass rusher getting paid a fair amount uh, demarcus lawrence in dallas bud dupree here in tennessee and then you're kind of filling in the roster elsewhere and i think we've seen that formula, you know, not really work all that well 
in Dallas, some successful seasons, but they haven't put it all together, had all those guys stay healthy and, and build a, a Super Bowl contender in Dallas. So, Nate, when you look at Tennessee's roster and you look at what their plan is over the next couple of years, I mean, do you like this model? Do you prefer this model to more of a maybe a traditional Patriots model where it is kind of spread out and you have more of a middle class on the roster? Or do you think it's just, you know, multiple ways to skin a cat? I think it's multiple ways. I'm, I'm always big on, I, I'll kind of talk out both sides of my mouth is that mm-hmm. when you have these kind of windows, it's like, I'm all for like, just screw it, go all in, like, and mm-hmm. deal with the repercussions later. A lot easier for me to say that when my job's not on the line. Uh, sure. But like, I, 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 my big thing has always been give yourself the ability to pivot and whether you accumulate assets in different ways, like either it's going to be picks or you have guys, young guys, older guys, just somehow, some way accumulate that and just give yourself the ability to always pivot. Hey, now's the time to go all in. Now's the time to kind of maybe reset a little bit. Now's the time. I think like, even with like the Falcons, like the last few years, it's like kind of like they've self-fulfilling prophecy a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, kind of yeah. what they've done with the, their cap situation. I, the stars and scrubs kind of thing has always worried me, especially when you start talking you know, injuries happen. They, they, now season's getting longer. So now I think depth is going to be more important than ever. And actually middle round drafting is going to be more important than ever is finding those second, third, and fourth rounders. If you want to do it this way, you better have a top notch scouting department because a couple of those guys have to hit like they just do. Otherwise it's going to be a, it might be a little ugly uh, if you get a couple injuries and you have nobody to step up and you're playing undrafted free agents for two, three or four weeks in a year. Um, yeah. So long, long story short, I, I think it's just, you, you pick your poison and then, but I think you just roll with it and you just got to give yourself mm-hmm. the ability to pivot. Um, I, 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 but doing the stars and scrub method has always just concerned me because seven out of eight times, it feels like it just doesn't work out <laughs> where yes. they go, Oh, they had two injuries to the offensive line and they couldn't protect the quarterback. And then their $30 million quarterback, you know, he had a rough year and then their $20 million receiver had a rough year because of that. Well, mm-hmm. they should have shored up the whole line, you know, like just, yes. you just see the the domino effects of everything. So gun to head, I would say maybe the Patriots, maybe more in the middle, but I think long story short, I would say just give yourself the ability to pivot, which is again, easier for me to say <laughs> sitting in my chair yes. right now. Well, I mean, I've made a career out of second guessing teams building <laughs> philosophies. So let's, uh, you know, the, that strikes the a little too close I, to home. The one interesting thing, uh, one thing I did like what the Titans have done, they have a type, you know, they, they go big mm, and athletic, yeah. like no matter what the position, which I appreciate. Sometimes it's like, okay, you might mi- limit yourself, but I appreciate that they have a type. And also like, you know, taking guys like Jeffrey Simmons and like Caleb Farley, Farley the last couple of years, um, mm-hmm. two of the last three years, they're taking kind of like, injured top five talents in the teens and twenties and hoping they get a top five talent, which mm-hmm. for what they're trying to do, it's they're, they're very risk reward. It's, I, I understand that they're, they're guessing they're, they're betting that they're going to find this talent in a way, in a different way than is usual. They're like, Hey, how's mm-hmm. what's best way to find the best top tier corner is taking a guy in the top 10. I mean, it just is. We're taking the guy in the lottery. Let's take a top five talent. Let's get him in the twenties because he might mm-hmm. have a bad back, like in Farley. Same with Simmons. He he was a top ten talent. They got him later later in the draft because he had some injury stuff. So that's a way I like. I do like that method that they're trying to do, even though it is mm-hmm. a lot more risk because um, those guys just might not even contribute their rookie year. So it didn't work out for the right tackle they took last year either. So uh, you know that's the risk reward with taking guys like that. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. That has been a 
their first round picks have been interesting. <laughs> I mean, you've had guys <laughs> who've broken out. You know, I mean, there's so many missing players in this roster. Um, you know, the mm-hmm. first round picks and Corey Davis, who just left after his fifth year option was declined. Jack Conklin had his fifth year option declined, then moved on to Cleveland. Dory Jackson, fifth year option declined, leaves for the Giants. Isaiah Wilson um, flames out in his first year uh, with Tennessee now out of football. I mean, it's, you know, this could be, you know, imagine with those four guys being here, maybe they don't trade for Julio. Maybe they do things differently. Right. But, you know, I mean, obviously um, this is the alternative here. I I think because those guys have not, are not on the roster under long-term contracts playing for Tennessee, they've made other moves. And I think those moves have uh, sort of made Tennessee go all in with this core over the next couple of years. Um, We will see what happens with Tennessee. You mentioned pivoting in your last answer. We are pivoting now to the U.S. men's <laughs> national team. Um, three victories the this week course. over over Concacaf competition. Yes, the main course here uh, on the Bill Barnwell Show. Um, of course, the biggest one, the chaotic, uh, ridiculous, wildly entertaining, wildly stressful, <laughs> um, everything to everyone. Three two extra time victory over Mexico. I mean, let's just start there. I mean, obviously the other two wins are great, um, but this was the oh. most important victory of the bunch. Just, just let's just start. What were you feeling during this match? Like, what what, what was your experience watching uh, U.S. Mexico for you? Ter- terrified. I I am a I'm a Seattle Mariner and a and a Minnesota Timberwolf fan. My teams haven't played relevant games in almost two decades. So I sure. I grew up a Vikings fan, but then now now I haven't been associated with the team at all. I cheer for the Wisconsin Badgers a little bit, but I'm also used to disappointment. So <laughs> so I'm like I how many times heard the Wolves are like this young the young pack is running the young pack we got all these young guys they're running Andrew Wiggins mm-hmm. and then they're just you know. Next year, they're picking top five again. I, I wow. got all these young guns, or, or the, has all these young guns. I'm excited. I see them in these club teams. They don't get to play all last year. So it's just been all this build. I finally get to see them like in a real because they play Honduras. Honduras is going to park the bus a little bit. So it's going to be a weird match. It's going to be CONCACAF y. So I was like it's Mexico game just by myself for the rest of the, for basically the rest of the game. I was probably pretty miserable to watch it around. Um, it, it, yeah, but that's basically what happened. Is that goal, that goal, first goal happened, and within the first two minutes, I was just all falling apart. But so it's fun to feel something again. I think that's a long story short. It was fun <laughs> thing, and uh, it was every range of emotion: happiness, fear, like jubilation i mean just everything it, it was it was it was unbelievable it's one of my it's probably my one of my favorite sporting events i've watched in the past i mean for sure two years um but it, it's that was so much fun i think it, it honestly it was so much fun dming you on twitter and just me and you just <laughs> second guessing everything too <laughs> hey guys so you may have heard nate was having some trouble with his audio we just moved him to the phone to get a more steady connection so uh nate might sound a little different from here on out yeah, I mean, um, I, I will say that I was still getting over the second Mexican goal, not counting when the first U.S. goal scored. And it, was, it wasn't even like there was like a series of events that happened. So Mexico's up one nothing. U.S. looks terrible. 
Mexico scores again off of, I believe, a corner. I'm stressed about it. VAR, my savior, shows up, uh, wipes the goal off the books. Um, I'm still recovering. I'm still like just getting over. Oh, no, this is terrible. This is a nightmare. Um, And then without even realizing the U.S. has a corner, suddenly they hit the post. And I'm like, oh, great. You know, we had an opportunity and hit the post. And then thankfully, another savior of mine right next to VAR when it comes to uh, heroes of the past week. It's our friend Gio Reyna who knocks in the first goal for the U.S. Um, Guess from then on, I felt better. Uh, yeah, Geo scoring maybe just feels like it just made me feel complete. <laughs> <laughs> Especially because I posted a meme of him right before saying like he's gonna score a billion goals. It's like just score one, please. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like he's like the king of the near chances too. Like mm-hmm. he is the king of like the near miss or like the unbelievable run, and then he like passes and the guy misses or he hits the post or he hits just wide so it was like him and like that goal was a little harder than i even realized until you saw the replays Mm -hmm. and he because he's kicking it right back into the where the goalie's at like the goalie's to his left and he kicks it right back at him like kind of like leaning into the punch oh i I love geo as you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) i that first the first goal uh so the first goal happens within the first two minutes i i I was watching in the living room the the golden knights were on so okay we tied in hockey so we got another sport in okay so they were they're on they their first period ended so i was like okay i'm gonna turn on the the soccer match Mm -hmm. and i just kept watching the soccer match my wife's like aren't the knights done in the second period i'm like yeah they might be i I think i think it's gonna start a couple minutes and then Mm -hmm. when i turned it back on it was like 12 minutes already into the second period <laughs> um but i was a mess after they scored the second goal i just kind of like took a walk and then when i walked back and i saw it was one nothing and then you were like oh okay var and I, I saw on twitter and i was like okay okay i feel a little better i feel a little better now like you said it was just so it was such a mood whiplash mm-hmm. going from distraught dosisero to like oh my god i'm tired Retired. Yeah. Oh my God. And, and Gio Rena scored. Oh my yes. God. My guy scored. Oh my God. Okay. 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 We can do- I, I just sat outside the rest of the time. Like even at halftime, I didn't even go back inside. I just sat outside watching our TV out there and just like, just sat there. Like I, I was just a wreck. I've never, it was the worst. It was one of the most fun, ex- the most fun games I've watched in years, but it was also like the worst game to watch alone. <laughs> I had nobody to celebrate with. I was just like, nobody to like, just like say, I was just talking to myself, like just <laughs> walking in circles, watching a soccer match, which, which I, I think is fun. I, I it's fun to feel something again. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. So I mean, about the game itself, like three two, of course. Um, extra time requires two VAR checks that led to penalties. The U.S. Uh, convert theirs. Christian Pulisic a perfect penalty from the U.S. captain, and then Mexico gets a penalty off a Mark McKenzie handball. They miss their penalty kick. Ethan Horvath, who had come in for uh, the injured Zach Steffen makes a save us wins three, two overall. And granted you are biased here. I'm biased here as well. Do you think three, two was a fair outcome for this match? Like, do you think the U S was the better team over 120 minutes? Not 120 minutes. Definitely not the first 45. Um, I would say, I would say it was evenly matched. Just, it was just like, it was hilarious because it was like moments of brilliance from both teams and just moments of absolute like shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> like where, where it was just like, even the Mexico a couple of times had some clearances where it was like, what was that? And mm-hmm. so I, th- I think kind of like at, at the end, I would say, okay, the U S got a little lucky, but I think all, even all the calls evened out in the end, it, it, it 
both sides got con- concacafed in in the equal amount of way, mm-hmm. um, and and just you know the, from going from the VAR at the beginning to just everything that happened. Like uh, there's a couple of yellows Mexico should have gotten. I mean they should have been playing a man down all of extra time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it, I think ball don't lie, and by the end it was yeah, the other US just didn't <laughs> just did enough to win. Mm-hmm. I it, they, I think they got rewarded for this kind of resiliency they had. I, I just want to be throwing karma about it, <laughs> just justify it at all. It was like that, like you said at the beginning, was it, it wasn't a perfect game, no perfect match, but it was like it, it sure was fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and but you can see the repercussions from it from even the Costa Rican game uh, last night, uh, just like how confident everyone's playing. It was mm-hmm. like, oh my god, I, I think it was just such a maybe not. It's like okay, in, in the long run, all we're going to remember is that it was three two. You know, we're not going to remember right now. We're like, oh, yeah, this a couple subs weren't great. Um, you know, they didn't play great. Like the defense wasn't great. They had nobody to help in the middle. They kept trying to play out of the back. But it was mm-hmm. like they did enough and they and the resiliency that they had. So I think at the end of the game, yeah, I think it was fair. And, and I think the scoreline was perfect. That It should have been a 3-2 game for mm-hmm. how many chances both teams created. Yeah, I mean, a ton of chances. Um, you know, again, multiple penalty kicks. Uh, and again, it, it could have been easily 5-4 in Mexico, mm-hmm. Mexico could have won 4-1 the U.S. could have won 4-1 like there were a lot of different yeah. things and different outcomes happened in this game I think overall it was pretty fair like if it had been 2-2 and gone to penalties I wouldn't have been like oh man the U.S. you know deserved to win that game outright yeah but, exactly um, yeah I mean and unfortunately we're going to forget some of the stuff like we won't we might not remember uh multiple players including Gio Reyna getting hit by like full <laughs> Full things of beer or soda, or maybe worse, from the crowd. Um, we're not. We may not remember the man who randomly dove over the balcony. Uh, what was with that? Have we figured out what happened there? Like, no. have we? Has has there been anything about that? Is it just like? Is it just like the tank guy in China at the at the square? You I know. I, I don't think it is. I don't think it is quite like that. No, I think it is. Uh, <laughs> you never hear about it again. It's just like yes. this thing happens. This incident happens. It's like okay, that was that. <laughs> I mean, thankfully, it, you know, I would imagine we would have heard if he had been seriously injured. I don't know why he was running from security. I don't know what he wanted to do to get on the set. Um, I don't know what his reaction was. I think people have pointed out, you know, that like. Um, this is a rivalry game and typically uh, it would be smart for, you know, when, when you have rivalry games in other countries, like you have derbies or you have big international matches, usually you play those games in the early afternoon or, or mm. have an early kickoffs so that people don't have that much time to get drunk. Mm. Well, uh, the that, U.S. fans here had all day to get drunk. And <laughs> that was the Wisconsin LSU game. They made sure to have that noon because yes. they're like, no, there's no way at Lambeau Field that we can survive Wisconsin and LSU fans yes. for a night game. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's just smart. So the U.S. Uh, I mean, this was this was in Denver. So I mean, the U.S. probably had some say over when it was going to be played, and they played it at <laughs> 9 p.m. Uh, Eastern. So that was uh, not ideal. <laughs> Um, but we will see certainly a great, crazy atmosphere. And, um, hopefully that stuff will stay in the memory for a while. Um, finishing up on the Mexico game itself, before we get to the broader performance, was there a man of the match for you for the Mexico match? Man, as much as I want to say, uh, geo, but I, I, I'm going to say McKinney, I think Mm -hmm. Weston, I, I, I got so down on him, as you know, I Mm -hmm. messed you, uh, for the Honduras game, I was just like, where is he? Like, yeah. is he playing? 
And I think just the energy and the link up play, just he, it, it looked more like he's looked in this past year mm-hmm. um, in Italy. And it was just like, and his late runs to the box, but also the link up play was just so needed in this game. We kept trying to play out of the back. And it just for a while, it was like, oh my God, it, it looks like all of our, 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 all of our back four or back mm-hmm. three were just looking for somebody in the middle to like go, like, hey, can, can you help us out here? <laughs> can you dump it, somebody dump us off? And I think it started clicking a little bit where Christian and, and, and McKinney were moving up. Mm-hmm. But then also, just all, he played all 120 minutes. And then also those headers on the set pieces. I mean, he created at least four chances, not just like, oh, he got his head on the ball and it went over the net. It was like, no, they were all legit chances where they, the goalie had to make a stop mm-hmm. or it hit the pipe, you know? And I, I think that's where I, I, I just think Weston just played how he should play. I mean, he won U.S. Player of the Year last year, and that's what he played like. And it was, it was really cool to see. But what's fun about this is that there's a few guys that you could say, mm-hmm. and that's what makes it really cool about this team. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... You sort of don't know what you're going to get from match yeah. to match from the young players on yeah. this team. <laughs> you really don't. Which is fine. It really don't. Which is it's fine. It's a different guy steps up. A different Or a different guy disappoints. I mean, that it's bizarre. It really mm-hmm. is bizarre. Now, in terms of the broader three-game sample we had to work with here, I mean, we're still getting to see these guys play together in vaguely significant matches at, at the national level. Of course, we saw a version of this team lose in Europe just before this three-game winning streak, which we're not going to mention that loss. No reason to. Uh, that's just bad vibes. We don't want to have bad vibes on this no, show. No, no, no. But I'll start with the positive vibes here. Start with the positives here. Over this three-game run, over this three-game winning streak, are there any players who have stood out to you where you feel better about them making an impact over the next few years at the international level? I, 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 this is going to sound like kind of like, as you know, uh, uh, my love for Gio, I knew he could play this way. So I, maybe I wasn't surprised that he mm-hmm. stepped up, <laughs> but it was nice to have confirmation that like he can do it at, at the country level as well as he's done at Dortmund. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really, I, I feel a lot better about Brandon Harrison. Um, I, I think one of my hesitations with him, not hesitations. I have a huge fan of his game and his energy, and mm-hmm. he kind of does a lot of things well. Um, he's, he's more of like a, a super glue guy almost. Um, but the Costa Rica game, it was like, uh, I, I've had some hesitations with the ball at his feet. I don't think he's the best dribbler. I think he's more of like a one dribble guy and get rid of it, or he's a real, he's a great um, one, two passer. Mm-hmm. And, Awesome seeing the energy he's brought for the games, but also last night with Costa Rica and just seeing him with the ball at his feet and just taking on the entire team by himself and, mm-hmm. and throwing throwing passes in the box. I was like, oh my God, like it's even more than I was expecting out of him. And he's just playing confident. And so that was, I mean, that those two, it just made me feel so much better. I've been huge fans of them anyways. Mm-hmm. And then now seeing him like do it at this level and then do it consistently where they're kind of like taking over games. It's like, oh, that's awesome. And seeing Geo track back on defense was like, that was one of the coolest things I've seen all week. Like all of a sudden he's like, becomes like this lockdown defender when he tracked back. I was like, oh my God, yes, yes. You are a superstar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, certainly, you know, as you sort of think about what the attacking look for this team is going to feel like heading into qualifiers. I mean, you have Pulisic, who obviously is a, you know, guaranteed starter anytime he's available and is a great player, but who kind of popped in and out 
um, of these of, of the Mexico match. Obviously, won that late penalty, but wasn't always super present. McKinney, who was a huge force, especially on corners, like you mentioned, in the Mexico game, um, but is going to be in the midfield. You would figure those two guys are are locked in for attacking roles. Then after that, I mean, you know, you'd figure Gio's going to be there, but his you know, eventual role is still kind of up in the air. Aronson, sort of the same thing. I mean, two players mm-hmm. who are in Europe at a young age and playing well in Europe. Um, Gio more last year than this year, but, um, you know, Gio getting regular minutes and then Aronson doing really well in Austria. Um, you mm-hmm. know, I, I think it's really exciting, especially if there's not a uh, an out-and-out striker that people have a lot of yeah. confidence in. You know, the best, the next best thing is to have of guys who can create a bunch of really you know, valuable yes. chances for whoever that striker is. Uh, yep. And I think we're seeing more and more that it's not just going to be, um, you know, Christian Pulisic who's going to have to create those chances. Yeah. You know, who actually also stepped up too that I'm happy to see is Reggie Cannon. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I think low key, he could be the, the starter at right back I until too. maybe a couple of these other guys. I, I, I'm really high in Justin Che from Bayern Munich, but he, he, might have a huge year this next year, but mm-hmm. I think just Reggie Cannon is just, he, I think he has, he has a great synergy with the other guys we have like he, cause he's more of a defensive steady guy. And if you have desk bombing down the left wing and, and whoever's going to be end up at center back with John Brooks and whoever the other one is going to be, it's like, I think Reggie just kind of meshes well with everybody. And then all of a sudden he's scoring one-on-one goals. Yesterday. Yes. And it was like, Oh my God, way to go Reggie. I, I think he's just that steady presence. And I, I kind of, not everyone has to be the scoring superstar um, at the, I know left back and right back have become such a more offensive position, mm-hmm. but I think it just meshes well with what we do. And uh, yeah, so I, that's another guy that's been like, I, I think he has had a really good couple of weeks. Um, uh, like it's, it's cool to see. It's really cool. You can see him getting more confident. I think yesterday's game was going to make him take another little half step as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, obviously moving to Boa Vista, uh, having his first season yeah. there in Portugal, um, you know, I mean, he is, it, it feels like he's, he's older because he's 22 as opposed to you know all these guys who were like 18 and 19 who are you know playing at super high levels but um you know he definitely figures in this discussion i mean we don't know what deandre yedlin's future is whether he's mm-hmm. going to be at that level two years from now um a guy who has been you know who, who was in and out of the lineup during his final run at newcastle before moving uh, to turkey yeah, moving to Galatasaray. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I mean, even at his best was a player who was better as an attacker maybe than as a <laughs> defender. Um, so I wonder what, you know, if that right back role will go to one of those two guys. And then, of course, the one of the people who I think I feel worse about, if I'm going to be talking about players who I feel lesser, you know, I don't feel were quite as impressive um, during this three-game stretch as maybe I was hoping for, the first guy who comes to mind for me is Serginio Dest, where yeah. he got subbed off. Um, he was not tracking back to the extent that I think Greg Burhalter wanted. Um, and of course we know, I mean, this is a guy who's playing at Barcelona, like he's going to be in the team <laughs> one way or another, but, um, you know, I think the guy who everyone's sort of looking at and hoping, uh, Des becomes is Alfonso Davies, where you have not only the yes. CONCACAF background, but also just the guy who was a, you know, a star winger who developed into a world-class, um, you know, a world-class defender as well. Um, where, mm-hmm. you know, he still has the speed and the ability to attack, but also, you know, can maintain his defensive abilities at left back. So, I mean, 
We don't know if Dest ends up on the left or the right for the national team. Maybe he has that flexibility and we know he can create opportunities. We know he has that ability, but um, you know, it, it, it felt like he was not a productive part of the team to me Yes, during the Mexico match. I, I completely agree. I actually think he, and I don't want to like, you know, uh, project on him, but it's like, it, it felt like he didn't realize how good Mexico was maybe. Like he was like, I, I think he thought he could get away with a little bit. And all of a sudden he was like, he got the, he kept getting the ball taken from him. He was mm-hmm. like, Oh shit. <laughs> like, I, I do think that's kind of what happened to him. And I think he got a little rattled, like mm-hmm. kind of going like, uh, okay. And then, and then when he's not going forward, I think with him, when he has cons- confidence going forward, he gets more confidence coming back mm-hmm. because he, he's kind of has that thought going, uh, going like, okay, I got mine. I got my offense in. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I can take the time to kind of like, do the dirty work a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, so I think I, I completely agree. That was the guy I was way down on. Oh, not way down on, but just, we know what he is. I mean, right. he is, I mean, he is, he plays for Barcelona um, right. for a reason, but I do think he maybe got a little cold water thrown on him. Um, you know, I mean, he had the unbelievable goal against Jamaica a couple of weeks ago. Right. And so it was like, Oh shoot. Okay. You can do that. And I think he, he thought he could just do that against everybody. I think a little bit. And I think against, you know, uh, in Mexico, it was just, it was, it was, it was disappointing. It really was, um, you know, but I'm still confident in him, uh, but yeah, I, I was expecting a little more. And that was the game I thought he could have mm-hmm. maybe left a print on, you know, left really left a thumbprint on where he contributed more to just maybe creating some attack. And I just don't think he was ready to be on the back foot so much. Yeah. And I mean, you look at Mexico plan in that game, they went after, Oh yeah, um, Tim Ream, and they went after Mark <laughs> McKenzie because those guys were isolated, and yes. Dest was one of the reasons they were isolated. I mean, I, I almost feel bad bringing up McKenzie as one of the players who I yeah. feel worse about. I mean, obviously not his best performance in the Mexico match, where he um you know gives away the early goal, a couple other giveaways as well, and then the penalty later on um, was was pretty good. I thought in the second half of the match before we got mm-hmm. into extra time, and then um, a great pass. Uh, against Costa Rica, mm-hmm. but overall, I mean, anyone besides McKenzie and Dest, where you feel like you were um, a little disappointed, maybe expecting a little more from this three match run. Um, I I did have a little bit more hopes for Jackson Yule. Um, mm-hmm. I thought he would actually be solid, and he kind of just was such a non factor in his games uh, in the time that he did play. Um, you know, that was more of the friendlies and whatnot. But then, and but I think. Um, other than that, you know, Sergeant kind of, I, I was hoping Sergeant would really step up and maybe take a little bit of like, you know, hey, now he's got better talent around him. He'll do more um, with it. But he's kind of, he, God, he's such a weird player, isn't he? <laughs> it's like, he's like a hustle striker. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like having a dirty work wide receiver. Yeah, that's, it is. I mean, that's, that's what he is. That's exactly what he is. He's a blocking wide receiver. <laughs> um, with, it's I, I still don't know what I want at that striker position, so I don't know whether to ding Josh with Sergeant or not with it. But I, I, I think Dest, and I agree with you a little bit, McKenzie. But I, I was happy to see McKenzie not just completely fall apart. Yeah. Um. Because I did message you. I was like, oh my god, he's terrified. And what would you say? He has every right to be. Yeah, he does. <laughs> I would be terrified too. I would be terrified too. Uh, I'm sure that was a whoa going. Also, he's going from Philly Union to Belgium to also to that. I'm yes. sure he was like, oh my god, what just happened? Um, that was actually really cool though to see a lot of the guys like own the moment a little bit. Mm. That was that was really cool. I, I'm not gonna lie, just as a sports fan, I was like, that was cool. Like mm. I like seeing these guys like 
like going like, okay, no, we're going to like take it to this crowd and everything. That was pretty cool. But yeah, Sergeant kind of just, I wouldn't say disappointed or impressed me. It was just kind of like, oh, that is, is that what you are, man? Dang it. You know, kind of more of that feeling, more disappointment, I guess. Yeah. But I mean, like, you know, maybe he figures it out. Maybe he just, yeah. He just, was he 20 or 21? Point. He is, I mean, is he even 20 at this point. He might be 20. He is, okay, I mean, yeah. he's 21. Excuse me. Sorry. He just turned 21. Okay. But he's playing, he's a full time starter in the Bundesliga. At 20. Right. It's like I'm down on him. He's gonna be fine. He's gonna be a good player. Right. Like he'll be he'll be like he will have a role yeah. on the team, but like is that role, you know, you come in for 30 minutes and you are pacey and you pressure the back line. Um, or is it can you actually be a 90 minute starter and yeah. can you yeah. actually process some of these chances at striker? I know he, he might be a spot starter, like in CONCACAF, like right. it's like certain, certain matchups are going to be great for him where right. he has to be just the gritty guy. And then maybe more of those flowing games. It's more like, okay, you're not as needed as much. So yeah, which is nice to have. Yeah. All right. Right. There's, that's, there's a valuable player there, but yeah. you know, yeah. does he compare to, let's say a man like Daryl DK who, uh, you know, the, <laughs> the, the focus of the Nate Tice hype train who, uh, great half season at Barnsley and then um, starts against Costa Rica in a friendly. And I mean, that was a game where it felt like it was a, you know, it was, it like, had, a, it was like a trick shot match. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 it was like an end one soccer game for the U S um, but DK scores his first goal, had a couple of the chances scuffed at a chance you were there. Um, overall. I mean, do you feel anything differently about Daryl DK based on that performance? Um, you know, it was kind of disappointing that a couple of like Aronson had a ball to him and he yep. just let the ball squirt past him. Yeah. That was really strange. Um, but then you see him like winning headers, like, and, and knocking the ball down to the other guys. So it was one of those where it's like, man, he still has a long way to go, but he's still, he's still learning the game. He's still mm-hmm. learning some of the nuances, but for what we need as a U.S. team, it's like, it kind of matches really well because he can post up and he just makes the simple pass. Mm-hmm. And then, and, and that's kind of what he would have to be. It's like, he's like a high post player in the basketball. Right. Yes. We got basketball in there. There we go. And <laughs> so, so it, but like when he gets that, but then, if we have guys in the wing like Aronson and Pulisic and Gio coming up, you know, I, I, cause I think Gio should just be in the middle. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Cause then he can win the header, win those balls, poke it to them and let them do the work and maybe get the rebound or the last pass, you know, as he hustles on in or the header, if he kicks it to the wing and they head it right back into him. So I think there's some good mm-hmm. synergy with him. Um, he still needs to just, he just still needs to keep coming with the skill level and maybe some of the awareness to the game. But I mean, you see him in like the, Costa Rica game it's like who who can keep up with him right. like he's just so big and dominant and he's skilled enough that he can control the ball and he he wins like every header <laughs> so with, mm-hmm. if some of these games where we can't play out the back and we have to start heading the ball like okay that's okay that's nice to have it's another you know tool tool in the toolbox mm-hmm. um what do you what do you think of, uh, of Tim Weah like where do you think he should slot in? Like that, that's one of the guys I'm, I'm always confused about where I'd like him at. Yeah. I think the tough part is, you know, he's not getting regular minutes. Like he played a fair amount of time for, mm-hmm. uh, for Lille this year when they won the championship, but you know, he played, it was only 878 minutes, only seven starts for him this year at Lille. So I like, you know, he has pretty consistently been a guy who comes off the bench, a guy who is, you know, pacey, a guy who, um, you know, is a threat to create stuff, but doesn't always create all that much. So, you know, I think 
I want to see him start somewhere. You know, I think that's yeah. the hard part. It's like, like, I think we still have to get more insight into what he's like on a club level before we can even really figure out where to use him on an international basis. I mean, I, is he in out and out striker? I mean, I, yeah. I don't know yet. Like I know obviously his dad or, or Jorge Wei was. So like, I think that's what the goal is to have him be that guy. And he's, I think he's been, you know, he, he he's been that guy maybe or, or been a scorer at, at youth level for the U S but I, I mm-hmm. just, you know, like I want to get a full season somewhere. No, I, I completely agree. I, I feel like he's a guy that like, he would benefit so much playing in a system. There is two up top where mm-hmm. it's, it's him and another striker or him. He's a supporting striker type. Like, cause I feel like he's really good at that kind of one, two play near the box. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just so hard. Cause like, I think what the U S would be best at, like, I do think like he might end up as the striker like uh, for some of these games. Yeah. Cause he can press. And so if you have Pulisic, him and Aronson up top as the three, the three up top, like it's mm-hmm. like, oof, that's a lot of heat coming at defenses, like in a lot of speed and a lot of, you know, enough skill. And like that, so I, that it's one of those where it's like, mm-hmm. if I were, if I were Berhalter, I'd just kind of be like keeping it in the back of my mind. Cause it's like, that could be just a really fun trio with geo kind of pegging them balls inside, like as they make runs and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I don't, that that's one of the ones I'm, I'm, I'm curious. Cause I, I just never know what to make of them. Cause he'll do some, incredibly flashy plays and then sometimes he tries to do a little too much um but it's like but he still has that element to him so it's like are you a winger are you up in the middle like where are you but i know you can contribute (laughs) i just want to figure out what you are so i think i'm the same boat as you are Mm -hmm. so let's finish up here last question for you nate Uh, we talked about the players and, and confidence there let's finish up with the the manager of this team the skipper of the side greg berhalter um this has been a up and down first year or so, a um, little over a year now, I think. Um, but I mean, there's been really very few matches with the core of this team together playing for something significant. Really the first time we've seen that is over the past week here with the, the nation's league matches. Um, you know, the first performance, not very impressive for quarter day, uh, 89th minute goal to get the U S through to the final Mexico, obviously, uh, more impressive, uh, mixing up and downs. Um, are you more confident in Greg Berhalter now than you were a week ago, or is it wait and see mode for you? I'm still wait and see. <laughs> um, I'm more confident because it seems the players have confidence in him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think he does a good job of kind of like stating his plan. It seems like he does have the right ideas a lot of the time. Like he does, it, it, I do want to give him credit where it's like he does have ideas and plans and he like puts them into effect Mm -hmm. as far as like, you know, rostering and, and scheduling throughout the rest of the year. I know that's his job. So you would hope you would do that, but, (laughs) um, Mm -hmm. but also seeing the confidence players having them, like after they scored a goal, Weston McKinney sprinted up to him and was like tackling them, you know, it's like, that's kind of cool. Like, so at least they, they have confidence in them. Um, I'm less confident because some of the subs were a little interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I was very curious, you know, keeping Tim Riemann that long when he was on an Island against, um, like that's <laughs> number 14 yes. from Mexico who looks like, and Oh my God, when's that guy going to Europe? Like that guy, yes. like we're, we're, that guy's going to be incredible. Um, but like, you know, putting him on an Island, that kind of felt like a, Hey man, like, are you really going to let this happen? Like the entire stadium knows what's about to happen except for you kind of that mm-hmm. felt a little, that was a little, 
concerning, especially at that time in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, so like then that, you know, so I still have some concerns there. I feel just a little better because it just, it does seem like everybody has confidence and everybody has a plan and they're, they're sticking with it and everybody knows they're on the same page and the communication seems good with the guys. So long story short, I'd say I feel exactly the same. <laughs> no, it's fine. But uh, I think that's reasonable. You know, I mean, I think like we're sort of still at the point where it's, um, you know, uh, Lanius does play in Europe. He plays for, uh, does he play for Betis? I don't know. Is that the right person I'm thinking of? It's 14. I, I think he's still in Mexico. Maybe he's still in Mexico. Maybe I'm thinking of somebody else. Um, yeah, I'll find it. <laughs> but, but what I would say is I agree with you. I mean, you know, I think the thing with Berhalter is this has always been like a wait and see. Okay, wait till it's meaningful. Wait till we get Pulisic and McKinney and and Dest on the field together. Wait till we have Stefan on the field. Like, wait till we have all these guys on the field together. And we're still at that point, right? Because we're still sitting here saying, okay, well, wait till Tyler Adams is healthy because Tyler Adams, so much of what it feels like Berhalter's system is built around is the presence of Tyler Adams on yes. the pitch. I mean, he is like... <laughs> Like, it feels like like he is the key that's supposed to unlock what makes the system work. And without him, there's not a real replacement for him on yeah. the roster. We've seen guys like Yule step in and for whatever strengths they have or Kellen Acosta, like they're not Tyler Adams. And so I think we're sort of still sitting here waiting for, okay, well, well what is this going to look like with Tyler Adams on the pitch? But like Tyler Adams might not be healthy. Like he might not be available at all times. And I think... You know, I still want to see what the plan B is for the U.S. if Tyler Adams is not ready to be um, yeah. the player Greg Berhalter imagines, not because of a lack of skill or a lack of talent, but just because of a lack of availability. Um, mm-hmm. I hope. Which is I, scary. Which right. is scary when it's just well, one guy. Right. <laughs> I, I hope. Scrubs almost. <laughs> I, I, I hope it doesn't work out that way. Like, I hope that he is healthy and, and yeah. plays really well because I think he's an incredible talent. But yeah, I mean, we still still have more weight and seeing happening here, but I think, um, you know, certainly some positives, some negatives, but a wildly entertaining week for yes. the U S men's national team. Um, Nate, I know that you are probably not going to talk too much about the men's national team on your primary podcast, but please let people know where they can check out the work you do. Uh, so first off, you can find me on Twitter at Nate underscore Tice. Mm-hmm. And then, yes, you can find uh, find me on the Athletic Football Show. Um, during the season, I do the uh, Sunday night, Monday morning show with uh, uh, our mutual friend, Bobby Mayo, uh, <laughs> Robert, <laughs> Robert Mays. And yep, so you, you can find me there about once a week. Uh, right now, we're just doing a bunch of off-season series. We're doing a bunch of off-season drafts. It's been a lot of fun, actually, to kind of uh, do a lot of thought experiments and stuff like that. But uh, for the summer, you'll be uh, seeing a lot more of uh, United States men's national team tweets <laughs> and uh, a couple of random uh, football uh, all 22 clips when I uh, feel the feel the urge. <laughs> all right. Well, they had to have you on to talk about the men's national team and about the Julio Jones stuff as well. Thanks so much for hopping on the show. Thanks for having me on, Bill. All right. Thanks so much to my friend Nate Tice uh, for indulging me with not only a discussion of Julio Jones and his work with Tennessee, but also the U.S. men's national team discussion. We'll be back with football next week. Uh, This brief aside for soccer, but not much happening in the NFL right now. 
Um, but we will figure something out. I, I did a mailbag this week with Mina Kimes on her show. Maybe I will hop on and do a mailbag in the next couple of weeks here on the Bill Barnwell show, but more audio coming on the way. Thanks so much for listening. Hope you guys are having a good week and back to football on a full-time basis next week.